This morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, God's Spirit-Filled Society. God's Spirit-Filled Society. And I want to look at this subject from the book of Acts, chapter 2, to the end that we would maintain our sense of community despite being separated from one another. If you turn to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. God's Spirit-Filled Society Stay-at-home orders are slowly fading, and people are venturing out, yet many warn us to be prepared for a second wave of the virus. Whatever happens, we cannot lose our sense of community and how we are called to be God's Spirit-filled society. Today I want us to look at the origin and nature of God's society, His New Testament church, and there is probably no better place to look than the book of Acts. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? To which he received a variety of answers. Then he asked, But who do you say that I am? To which Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is upon the rock of this confession of who Jesus is, revealed in scriptures, that Jesus promised to build his church and the gates of Hades would never prevail against it. The church militant is a technical name given to believers on earth who purposely are seeking the kingdom of God to be extended on their watch through the power of God's Spirit. Jesus said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He said this in view of his binding Satan and taking away from him people deceitfully held captive by his lies and by their sins. So, although Jesus is not needy of help, he confers on us the privilege of partnering with him as he builds his church and calls people out from darkness into his marvelous light. The book of Acts begins with the disciples longing for both national power and deliverance from Rome's occupation and oppression. Jesus, however, promises them power of a different sort, spirit power. 
holy spiritual power to bear witness to him, a power that can transform people and the whole world. The Spirit working through the proclamation of the gospel is infinitely more powerful than any weapon, king, army, or earthly kingdom. This power is not only demonstrated in the message that we proclaim, but also in the manner in which we live in community within this world. As powerful as the work of God's Spirit is, His power becomes available not only because of a divine promise, but also through a disciple's petition. Prayer is an essential ingredient for us to be constrained by and useful for the Lord's glorious kingdom purposes in this world to be realized. This was true in the life of Jesus. Luke is the author of Acts and also the book bearing his name. In Luke chapter 3, it states that when Jesus was baptized, he prayed, after which the Spirit came and rested on him. In Luke 11, Jesus states, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is probably a reference to the day of Pentecost, but it nevertheless makes the connection between prayer and receiving the Spirit's power. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, which refers to the Holy Spirit. On the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. When Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do, And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. When Jesus said this, it is clear that Jesus was referring to the giving of the Spirit and the discipling of every nation. Particularly when you compare... Uh, John 14, those verses with John 16 in the same upper room discourse context, uh, in in, in John 16, 26, it says, In that day you will ask in my name, the same thing he said in chapter 14, and I will not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, again, repeated from chapter 14, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. The same thing Jesus mentions in chapter 14 in association with him giving the Holy Spirit. Now this was something specifically mentioned to the disciples in that particular historical setting. 
But related to that, for us today, there is no greater work than conversion. There's no greater work than someone being resurrected spiritually. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, uh, Jesus, uh, his disciples are united in prayer and purpose as they wait for the promise of the Spirit and his power to use them to bear witness to Jesus. And this same uh, thing is mentioned in chapter 2, verse 1, being united in prayer and, and uh, being united is, is said there, but praying is inferred in the context, in chapter 2, verse 1, on the day when the Holy Spirit came. When he did come, it was an act of new creation. Just as the Lord God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living creature, just as Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you, obviously, to bear witness. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit came, and the sound was literally as a bearing, violent breath. What is first emphasized in Acts chapter 2 is the presence of God. Uh, the cloven tongues, uh, the fiery tongues, the appearance of which on each of their heads, and powerful proclamation of his great works in Jesus Christ. These were proclaimed by his disciples, and it was a fulfillment, as Peter says, it was, and he, as he explains, they think that the people are drunk, but Peter explains that what's happening, it's a fulfillment. It's the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. They spoke in languages they never learned. And that's important. It was languages. It wasn't unintelligible tongues. It was actual languages. But they had never learned these languages. The barriers of language and culture were overcome by the Holy Spirit's power. And this testified to God's goal of reaching every nation with the gospel, beginning with the Jews. And this power has reached you. You're saved because the Holy Spirit glorified Jesus Christ to you. And just like Peter's audience, sin was was and always is an obstacle to experiencing the Spirit's power. When a Samaritan woman said, Sir, give me this water, Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. And what ensued was a conversation about her sinful life that she had to walk away from in order to really receive that living water. When Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, he is quoting Isaiah 55, a chapter rich with God calling his people to repent and to believe as a prerequisite for spiritual renewal and transformation of not only their lives, but of the world in which they lived. And so that's one of the things that we must consider when when it comes to receiving the power of the Spirit 
and receiving that power through the means of prayer, um, the Bible says in Psalm 66 that if I cherish sin in my heart, God will not hear my prayer. Sin is always a barrier to, to spiritual growth and development. And unless there is in you, in all of us, a, a determination to live a life of repentance, of running away from sin as we run to Jesus Christ and cry out for the Spirit of God to renew us, we shouldn't ever expect that God would use us for anything. Um, except, perhaps, to show the world what life is not supposed to be. Like it says in the book of Proverbs, when the son went and looked at the sluggard's place of dwelling, and how the wall was broken down, and it was all overrun with weeds. So there is a prerequisite to renewal and transformation. It's repentance and faith in Jesus. When you heard the gospel, you perceived your sin. You came to Jesus. That's what you see going on in chapter 2 as they're hearing Peter preach. You pleaded with Jesus. You repented of your sin. You believed in him. You received him. And you are saved because Jesus sent his spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And now that you have been given the Holy Spirit and added to God's society, um, the possibility of grieving the Holy Spirit is still there. There's still this calling to daily repent and to daily trust in Christ and to continue to confess sin and run to him and receive daily renewal. Someone wisely said we have to continue to run back to Christ for his spirit because although we get filled with the spirit, we leak. We continue to leak and we need that constant filling. And what's stated in Acts chapter 2 about in verse 42 and following, it says they devoted themselves. It, it, the, the tense of the verb means that they steadfastly, continually devoted themselves to these things. They just didn't do it one time. It was part of the fabric of, of their lives together. And the nature of that society, as recorded here, is ongoing. And it doesn't exactly mean that everything's going to happen exactly the way it happened there. We'll see in, in at least one or two places where that's not the case. Um, the book of Acts is not necessarily an account of something that's supposed to be repeated over and over again. Sometimes we have the feeling that we need to get back to the first century church. Um, we don't really need to do that. Uh, we're not going to look for another Pentecost. Pentecost has happened. It's past. And uh, we learn things from this. The way the book is laid out, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if we're going to go back to the New Testament church like some people believe, that means we've got to all move back to Jerusalem and, and bear witness to Jesus there first, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but what's going on in the book of Acts, if you read it, Jesus has given us an outline. It begins in Jerusalem, it moves to Judea, 
Then it moves to Samaria, and then through the Apostle Paul, it moves to the ends of the ages. So it's a historical account, an account, but we learn much from um, what we find here. And the first thing we see that they were devoted to is they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching, which, which refers first to the Old Testament. In, in the New Testament, when the Apostles were preaching, they were preaching from the Old Testament as they were writing the New Testament. Today, we have both Old and New Testaments, and so it's a reference to the Scripture as a whole. And so when, when Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed, he was referring to the Old Testament. But we know from, from Peter's uh, writings that the New Testament is to be viewed in the same God-breathed way. But it's a call to be devoted constantly to the Apostles' teaching. And the Apostles' teaching uh, is the, the best interpretation of all of Scripture because the Apostles' teaching shows us how Jesus is central to all of the Bible. So to be um, Spirit-filled is to be, by definition, a student of Scripture. and. Um, Sometimes we get lazy, we don't want to read the Bible, we think it's long and long-winded, and uh, it takes a lot of time, and, um, and that's, that's an attitude that we have to contend with and deal with. God has given us the Scripture. He didn't send us a DVD. He sent us a book to read, and He sent us a book to study, and um, it behooves us, it's beneficial for the kingdom to know that book, the Bible says, be, be filled richly with the Word of Christ. We need to spend time meditating in the Word of God, setting time apart, devoted to studying and reading and meditating on Scripture. It's primary. Get ourselves involved in a small group. Even if you don't stay the whole time, just go. Start the ball rolling. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is a primary thing. Uh, the Bible is a, seek, a book that we should seek to understand more than any other book in the world. There is no book like the Bible. It's in a category all by itself. Nothing, no other book can get in the room with the Bible. And so we should make it our business, since God has sent us a message, to make sure that we know that message and we meditate on that message until it becomes like fire in our hearts. The Bible alone gives us the lens through which to see the world. You can't live in this world right without the Bible. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to navigate in this world. It's God's world. It was made with God's Word. And you need God's Word, the Scripture, to know how to navigate and how to maneuver in this world in a way that brings glory to Him. I defy anybody to try to live in this world aright without the Bible. You'd have to be mad to think something like that. You just can't do it. Stop trying. Uh, the Bible alone gives us that lens. And uh, the Bible says that in Jesus Christ are all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't know anything apart from Jesus. Let's be real about this. Every bit of 
true knowledge you have in your head you got from Jesus, whether you trust in him or not. He gave it to you. And we ought to be thankful. He made everything. And everything's made for him. So there's no way to understand how to use anything in the world apart from him. And the way we connect with him is through the scripture, through listening to him. God's heart for his glory, his heart for his kingdom, and his heart for humanity are all discovered in the pages of scripture. We'll never know how to live apart from the light of God's word. We can go on and on, and we should go on and on. The Bible says that God says in Psalm 138, Above all things I have exalted my name and my word. Have you exalted everything in your life above God's name and God's word? Or have you exalted God's name and his word above everything else going on in your life? It's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's so easy to get dragged away. That's the one thing Satan wants, is to drag people away from the Word of God. It's the one thing that we have to make primary in our life. We have all kinds of technological ways of doing that. Some people say, I don't have time to read the Bible. And we talked about this last week, and it's coming up again because it's important. And uh, you have... CDs you can put in your DVD player as you drive places and just listen to the scripture. You can put a DVD on when you wake up in the morning and listen to the scripture. Um, There's all kinds of ways, creative ways. We find all kinds of creative ways to do the things that we want to do, don't we? Audible. You can listen to books all the time. You can listen to the Bible as well. Second, they devoted themselves to the fellowship referring to the church. Fellowship means literally sharing. They devoted themselves to sharing the gifts God gave to them. Everybody's got a spiritual gift, and the the body of Christ will never function correctly unless everyone's using their gifts. It says that in Ephesians chapter 4, 15 through 16. The body will not grow properly unless everyone is using their gifts. Everybody's got to be plugged in. You know, when you, I don't know how the Christmas bulbs are today, but years ago when I was growing up, when we put the Christmas tree up and you put those Christmas lights on there, if one light was out of sync, none of them worked. That's just the way it was. I don't know what, maybe they got different. They got, they, they, they made it better now. They got the LEDs and you don't need to, do it like that. But the old school ones were the ones that taught you the biblical way, you know? Old school Christmas lights are more spiritual than the new school Christmas lights. Yes, they are. Because if you took one out, they all shut off. And that's the way it is in the body of Christ. If one person's out of sync, nobody works right. We all become dysfunctional when one is not functioning. So they were devoted themselves to sharing their gifts. They also shared their money. Yeah, we need money. You know, it's, it's unlawful for preachers to talk about money. You know? I, I imagine it is if you're asking for a $65 million airplane, which I'm not doing, of course, which I hope I would never do. Smack me if I do that, would you? But the point is that, that we need money. We need money to, 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 for, for the work of ministry. And um, 
Not only that, but they shared their possessions. They didn't consider their possessions to really be their own. They were always ready to let stuff go if someone else needed it. And it also means participating in the ministry. It's not only using your gifts or sharing your money or your possessions. It's participating in the ministry, being a part of the ministry. And not just being a seat warmer coming on Sunday uh, to sit, uh, but also to, to share, to be involved, to, to do whatever you can do to participate in supporting the ministry. And it also has to do with participation in suffering. Save the best for last, right? Suffering that comes from being a follower of Christ. Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Same word. John said uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 9, he said it was uh, to his audience that he was a fellow sharer. It's, it's the same, same word form of fellowship, koinonia. He was a fellow sharer in the tribulation as well as the reign and the endurance that are found in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ has, has done this for us. He's, he's been the payment for us. He's, he is the gift, an unspeakable gift from God, the inexpressible gift, rather. Um, he's the one who suffered on our behalf. He's the one who became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. Third, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this refers both to spending time with one another over a meal, which we'll talk about in a little bit, as well as the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread is used of both just eating a plain meal and the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. But the emphasis would fall probably on the supper because of the context uh, that we're in in Acts chapter 2. And we should pray that God would grant us wisdom and opportunity to again soon celebrate the supper together. It's been over eight weeks since we had the Lord's Supper together. And there's, there's people doing that virtually and, and there's disagreement about whether that should be done or shouldn't be done. And we're as a session, we're working through some of those questions, and so keep us in your prayers as we navigate those things. Um, so we, we, we don't want to neglect that, but there is a time, you know, when Jesus himself was about to be crucified, he said, I will not drink of this cup of the covenant with you again until I drink it anew in my kingdom. So there's a sense in which Jesus himself waited and there was a hiatus in there where he wasn't even participating in that. And so um, he understands our circumstances, and so we need wisdom to know how to, how to go about that. Having a meal together, uh, we'll talk about a little bit later, is an opportunity not only to eat but to get to know and serve others, a way of training ourselves to be godly. I have experienced uh, this several times, not only at City of Hope but in other churches, in my life where believers took time to ask, what would you like to eat? And went the extra mile to prepare that very meal. Some even went to Whole Foods. Imagine that. They're really special. I'm just joking. Fourth, um, they devoted themselves to the prayers. And notice some, some translations say to prayer. That's wrong. 
the Greek says to the prayers. It uses a definite article because it's referring at least to two things. It's referring first to uh, the prayer times set apart by the leaders. It's one one of the things that we do in the church as leaders is we set time apart for God's people to come together and pray. We do that today after we discuss the sermon, but there's also Thursday, and there's also time at small groups. And uh, we we need to to work on that as a congregation, I must say. Uh, You know, prayer is typically the first thing that dies out when things become difficult in the church. It seems like it should be the thing that gets ramped up. Well, sometimes it does. Like if you fly an airplane through a building, everybody wants to pray. You know, everybody comes to church. Even Muslims come to church when, they, when you fly an airplane through a, through, a, through a building. But but prayer typically becomes a thing that falls away very easily when, um, when things get difficult, moderately difficult, a little challenging. Um, but, but we should be people who pray earnestly. The Bible says that of Jesus, we looked at this last week, in, in Luke um, 22, it says that, that Jesus, being in agony, being in agony, prayed more earnestly. Now, I don't know how Jesus could pray more earnestly, because he's, he's the perfect prayer, but even Jesus prayed more earnestly. So that says a whole lot about our ability, our need to pray more earnestly uh, ourselves. Um, but they were devoted to the prayers. And, and second, it refers to prayers in the Bible, such as the whole book of Psalms and now uh, the New Testament prayers. Before each of Paul's uh, letters, at least most of them, there may be only one or two where it's not present, there's, there is a prayer. Paul gives thanks to them, for them, and prays for certain things with respect to them. Those prayers are inspired by the Spirit of God. Those are the things that we should be praying. If you ever don't know what to pray for, open up your Bible. The Bible clearly says the Spirit helps us because we're weak and we're ignorant. We don't know how to pray or what to, what to ask God in prayer. And so the Scripture becomes the prayer book of the believers. When David was promised by God that God was going to build him a house, and once God made the promise, David took that promise and turned it right into prayer. Uh, You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So uh, the prayers of the Bible are inspired by God. We need uh, to make more effort uh, to pray together. Last week someone quoted Bill Hybels, who said, when you work, you work. When When you pray, God works. And it's true. Do you believe that? Do you take it seriously? Uh, and the first, one of the we we talk at this point. If you look at Acts chapter two, some of the results of this these devo- devotion that they had for these four things. The first result is the Spirit leading you uh, to a sense of awe, a sense of awe, a sense of fear of God came across the uh, the community. Um, you see that in verse forty three. At this time, there were many signs and wonders, and they were done by the apostles. And that's significant. People today want to see signs. They want to see wonders. They, uh, there's a church um, that will go unnamed, but it's a very, very popular church. Um, and they claim to have a glory cloud in their worship services. 
and that God is speaking to them through this cloud, and people want to see all kinds of signs and wonders um, to be done. Um, but, but you think about what sign and what wonder is greater than an unbeliever becoming a believer, than someone who's dead in their transgressions and sins getting converted and becoming a brand new creation. There is no sign greater than that. And the signs and wonders were done by the apostles as a way of testifying to their authenticity. Uh, they're not sort of things that we need right now. The apostle that we have right now is the Scripture. And the great sign and wonder that the Scripture does is by converting people when the gospel is preached. When, this, when the Scriptures are preached, people get changed. There is no, there is no greater wonder than someone becoming a believer, a convert. It's greater than healing. It's greater even than resurrection. You can raise someone from the dead, but that doesn't mean they're saved. Um, everybody's going to get raised up, uh, but, but a bunch of those people are not going to be believers. But the greatest sign of all is, is conversion. The greatest sign is Christ, of course, but I'm talking about in terms of human beings. You are a sign and a wonder if you're a believer. Um, the Bible is at work when we are committed to it and committed to preaching it. The second result was generosity towards believers in need. You see that in the verses that follow in this section in, in chapter 2, in verse uh, 44 and 45 and 46. Um, Believers were generous. The Holy Spirit comes to glorify Christ, and when He does, we come to know more deeply the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through, who though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. And not only rich, but enriched, as it says in 2 Corinthians, enriched in every way to be generous in every way for God to be thanked. The glory of God is always the end of everything. We must learn to live beneath our means and give above our means. The third result was daily worship together and spending time with each other around meals. One of the chief settings, uh, a meal is one of the chief settings where you are compelled to serve others and participate in the cleanup and offer comforts and support to others. Even the simple thing of having someone use your bathroom is a comfort and support that you give to them. Very practical. The fourth thing that needs highlighting is they, they were having favor with all the people. This phrase, tied to praising God, is significant. John said, it is impossible to love God and hate your brother and sister. You can't do it. If you have a brother and sister in the Lord, you can't hate them and love God. You, you have to take your pick. Um, when the great works of God in Christ for your salvation lead you to worship, it transforms your vision of other people. You can't stay angry with others in the body of Christ if your mind is stayed on what God has done for you in Christ. It's often been said that people find it difficult to forgive when they forget they need the same. And... Uh, Worshiping God transforms the way you look at other people. Paul said we don't look at anyone according to the flesh 
anymore. But if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. And you can't stay angry with others in the body of Christ if your mind is stayed on God. It leads you to show favor or grace, it's the same word in Greek, um, towards other people. It leads you to relate to people in a gracious way, in a favorable way. You know, one of the things about treating people with grace means it, it, it gives you the feeling like they're getting away with something. Because that's what grace is. It, it, it's a gift. You give something to someone, they don't deserve it. Um, the gospel shows you, in conclusion, the gospel shows you how tender and gentle God can be with sinners, how he's been with you, how he has taken all your sin and crucified Jesus for it and set you free. He did you a huge favor. Now he treats you like his innocent and righteous child, because you are his innocent, righteous child by grace. The praise of this God transforms the way you treat other people. It is this kind of spirit-filled and empowered society to which God daily adds more people because he knows his newborn children will be safe there. When you adopt children or you are involved in foster care, they do a home visit. They come by because they want to see how you live. They want to see how the house looks. They want to see if the child that's coming here is going to be safe. It's going to be provided for. It's going to be loved and cared for. And when, when the church is that way, when the church is filled with the Spirit, filled with love, God sends, He adds to them more people because He knows it's a safe environment for healthy, healthy growth and development for his newborn children. May City of Hope be a place of refuge and safety that God knows he can send newborn believers for healthy growth and development. God bless you and keep you.